Good morning and welcome to this episode of the Buell Early Childhood Leaders podcast series. My name is John Benzler. In this episode, like every episode, we bring you stories from around the state of Colorado to keep you informed about what Buell Early Childhood Leaders are doing in their local communities. This month's topic focus is the idea of funding or how does money get from funders to fundees to put it as simply as possible. How does government money, how does private money, how does local money get to support early childhood programs in our state? We're gonna do a couple things in the podcast. The first is give you a little bit of a background of what these funding processes look like. Then we're gonna to go to a conversation around how do organizations choose what they do fund or how do they evaluate the success of their funding. And finally, we're gonna to turn to talk about what it looks like as someone in early childhood who's applying for a grant, applying for some kind of financial support for a program, an idea, and what best practices look like in terms of getting and supporting that grant. To help us get into this conversation about funding, we bring you three different voices this week representing what we think are three very different perspectives on funding. So first we have Lauren Heinz, who is a policy specialist working at Clayton Early Learning. Lauren helps us understand the policy side or what does government policy making look like around funding and how does that affect early childhood around our state. Next we have Susan Steele, who's the executive director of the Buell Foundation, which specializes in, by the name of our podcast, you'd probably guess, early childhood funding and grant making. Susan is going to give us some perspective about what private funding looks like or how do foundations make their decisions around what programs to fund. Finally, we have Katrina Floyd, who is the program director for the Colorado Preschool Program and Results Matter Program, who's going to give us some perspective about what public funding looks like or how as a representative of a public organization who oversees funding for, through community outlets, what are the key points or what are important for them in terms of evaluation. The final thing I'll say before we actually get into some of our interviews, because I'm sure you're done listening to me talk at the beginning of the podcast. In the next couple months, we're going to be entering some interesting political times in Colorado. We have active legislation, active voting, we have an election coming up in November, all of these things that are directly affecting funding in terms of education and also early childhood to a lesser extent. While I'm not going to tell you how to vote, I'm not going to tell you what programs or what research you need to do, I think the podcast will offer some resources and options to learn more about these programs, such as the Taxpayer Bill of Rights and how that affects funding locally but also around the state. Keep these things in mind as you listen to the podcast today. We are going to make some really interesting decisions in Colorado concerning our education, and we look forward to having you involved. With that, let's just jump right into the conversation. We're going to start off with a little bit of background about what private funding looks like, specifically the Buell Foundation. Here's Susan. Um, all that being said, when he was alive, the grants that were made were whatever Mr. Buell wanted to do, and mm -hmm. that makes sense. It was his money. And when he passed away, he didn't leave us uh, rigid instructions like some other donors do. Um, he really said, we need you to meet the needs of the times, and we need to do it well. We want you to be effective at what mm -hmm. you do. So that was a nice... Um, a nice frame but it gave a lot of um, flexibility so in the 95 we had a, a long-term strategic planning beginning in 96 we started to zero in our grant making and eventually as of about 1999 we came around to almost exclusively early childhood education so we've been at that now for about 20 years we are a statewide funder we fund between two and three hundred grantees um, every year in the state and so we have our uh, fingers on the pulse of what's going on in early childhood. Uh, I have program officers that go out, they're out now, visiting, out doing uh, site visits in Durango and Holyoke and all over, 
we're not just reading the paper, we're not just talking on the phone, we're actually visiting and getting to know the programs. So that was sort of the background, um, and it was in that context that uh, about 10 years ago that uh, we decided, a, a group of people talking about what's next in early childhood, a lot of really smart people in the work said we need leadership. And we're going to continue to need really capable leadership for all kinds of roles. That was very clear, and that was the genesis of the leadership program. Thank heavens we started 10 years ago <laughs> because there are so many key positions now that need really capable leaders, and happily, many of our fellows are in those positions and more going into it all the time. So that was sort of the genesis of not only our early childhood, but also uh, of the leadership work that we're doing. Here's Katrina talking about the work that she does for the Colorado Department of Education. So the, the job right before this one is kind of what prepared me and I worked for Denver Public Schools for 13 years as the liaison between DPS and community sites who were receiving Colorado Preschool Program funding. So in the way that Colorado Preschool Program operates is that these dollars come from the state to the Colorado Department of Ed and the, then are distributed to districts. So districts have the option um, of kind of where these slots go, like where in your community are we really seeing these kids that are at risk and so most districts partner with community sites. So in DPS for example 25 percent of all the CPP slots are go out to community sites. So then when this p position opened up, I thought, okay, well now I can take what I'm doing for Denver and look, look, at the, look at it from a state perspective. So I am the director for the Colorado Preschool Program and Results Matter. Now Results Matter is basically the program where we assess children so that we can track how children are doing in CPP so that we can report to the legislature on how the dollars are being mm -hmm. spent. One of the obvious differences between public and private funding or state funding versus foundation funding is the levels of accountability or who the funds are accountable to. If the foundation gives out money to a program, the program who receives the funding is accountable to the foundation for proving the impact, proving the work they're having, or the foundation is accountable to individuals who donate money to the organization. If you're working for the state, on the other hand, you're accountable to the state legislature, to voters across the board. So where funds go in the state of Colorado is really important because of who gets to vote on where those funds get to go or what legislators decide. So even at this level, we can see where different levels of accountability play out and how they probably lead to different types of funding. To talk about that, here's Susan. We're an unusual funder um, in the fact that we are a long-term partner and we have grantees that we have been partnering with for 15 years. That's very unusual in the philanthropic world. More, it's more typically a limited time frame and a limited project. We're also very often a general operating funder uh, for the same reason. We know these people well. We have relationships. We know the goods and bads. And so we feel comfort saying, you're doing great work. Here's your money. Go do it. Uh, others, we sometimes uh, target our money so that we're really directing them so towards some area that we think will help them get better. And we also have just recently in the last couple years added um, the concept of a, a quality indicator. Every year the grantees agree to a quality goal 
and and they will be re accountable to that goal at the end of the grant year to see how what progress they made it it could be in a lot of areas it could be in business practices it could be in um, more professional development it could be an increase in their Colorado Shines rating whatever it is it could be implementing uh, many of them now are implementing child readiness assessment tools mm -hmm. so that's another thing we do that isn't very typical in the philanthropic world in early childhood in particular absolutely and before I was at the University of Denver I actually worked at the Piton Foundation mm. for a couple of years I was a uh, I, I did storytelling for them I worked on floodlight project which oh, is well, a project that came out and sadly funding went away for that project but one of the things I noticed a lot is that sitting in a lot of these grant meetings is that you talk about general funding mm -hmm. like there is no money out there to pay staff Right. If you can't pay staff, you can't do programming. So right. the programming is there. We have all the money for the programming, but we can't pay the people to do that. Or the building to do it in. That's true, right? <laughs> so outside of you have a special relationship or you know, you've known this school program, et cetera, for 15 years, pretty good working relationship between them and you as the foundation, why else did you find that general programming funding was so important for your mission, both in the short and long term? Well, I think it truly gives grant grantees flexibility to do what they need to do, and uh, all of them would prefer to have general operating support so they can be flexible and they can be opportunistic, and we want them to be. The, kick, the kicker is that works really well as long as you're keeping up the quality and you're not dropping off programs or sliding in some areas. So that's the nice balance between the two. If we're trying to concentrate on something and really make it important, mm -hmm. that, that's where our funding is. And if we, as we have that relationship and more confidence in the continuing uh, success, then we're willing to do general operating. And we do more and more and more of it, which is great. Um, we're happy with it. It's a little harder to be accountable for in a purely number sense or you know because it's such a it's a broad program they could be serving 800 kids so it's a little harder to say well I what's your success look like when it's that broad because we're looking at all the goals okay. uh, but it is it you know we find like I said we part of what we do then is go back to that matrix because that gives us some specificity when we're talking about how are you progressing what are your challenges what do you need mm -hmm. What also makes early childhood funding unique in the state of Colorado, and to be honest, in most states around the country, is that it's viewed as separate funding than traditional education funding. It's viewed as a separate line item in the budget than K-12 and post-secondary education. To talk about the differences between K-12 and early childhood funding, here's Lauren. Policy pieces of early childhood. Um, my background specifically before I came here, I was working on K-12 policy. Mm -hmm at NCSL, which is the National Conference of State Legislatures, so working with all states and territories mm -hmm. around their education policy, looking at best practices, kind of letting them inform us what we could research and look into, and I was the generalist, so I knew a lot about very random topics. I did school safety, some funding formulas, class size, um, after school programs, just a big variety of issues. So. I think that's helped coming into early childhood to kind of see how different those systems run, mm -hmm. and especially on something like funding. K-12, there's one source of funding, and early childhood is such a hodgepodge of different sources in federal and state, And um, but I do see a lot more unity on the early childhood system as far as what stakeholders agree on mm -hmm. and what they want to move towards versus K-12, there can be such different ideas about pedagogy and where they want to move as a system. So. 
wonder if you could explain that a little bit to me. So you said yeah. there's more of a uniformity in the pre-K kind of mm -hmm. group. Mm -hmm. What are those kind of uniform kind of missions or goals? Yeah, I think it's more the collaborative spirit of people that work in early childhood. Obviously, there's different pockets because you have the health community and you have the very learning-focused community, you have home visiting, so there's a lot of different moving pieces. But I see a lot more willingness, especially among advocates in early childhood, to come together and work through uh, more difficult issues versus K-12. There's a lot of more entrenched opinions, I would say, and a lot more... Um, I think there's more politics in K-12 than there is in early childhood. And I think a great example for early childhood is this poster that I have. We have an early childhood framework for our state that every type of stakeholder worked on. It was a really big collaborative process, and this is actually an update to a project that happened in 2008. And it's really just this framework that we work on advocates and providers and practitioners all together looking at what are some of the big bucket policy areas and things that we agree on that we want to move towards and I know that everybody uses this framework all the time we use it to help guide a lot of our grant activities and policy advocacy um, a good example is early childhood mental health they have a whole separate office in the office of early childhood and they actually made a similar icon to that one over on the right side but just applied it to mental health. So really using this kind of basis to build upon in other areas. So even though there are a lot of disagreements still and everyone has different priorities, I think there's a good basic set in Colorado of agreed upon values and goals for our system. Another factor complicating education funding and early childhood education funding specifically in Colorado is the fact that Colorado is a very diverse state with lots of the population living on in the Front Range, in the Denver metro area, Boulder metro area, Aurora, which means that often most of the policy making that happens is focused on Denver metro area schools, children, learning habits. Often this is because it's difficult to get to many of the rural locations in Colorado, or the fact that there's just a larger number of individuals representing Denver area schools and early childhood programming. Because of this, the Beale Foundation and other funding organizations have taken steps to make sure they listen to local community voices to make sure that all citizens in Colorado have access to equitable early childhood education. To talk about this, first we're going to hear from Susan, and then we're going to go back to Lauren to talk about why Colorado is really unique in terms of how it's set up and the transportation barriers that it offers sometimes. Absolutely a true. <laughs> that there are many foundations that are both located and focused on the, at least on the uh, set, uh, front range, if not just the seven county metro area. And they are even by mission or by charter that, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think that is what it is. It's great to have those resources, but they are limited. So if you are a statewide funder, such as we are, and there are several others mm -hmm. that are, I think it's an awareness of that and a really an intentionality about doing something about it, we actually set out to do about 60% of our funding every year outside the seven counties or and or into a statewide, um, something that's completely statewide like uh, when Educare was, was the, um, like Colorado Shines or like Qualistar was the state rating. We, when there are statewide things, uh, umbrella organizations, we also fund those. But we are very intentional in the dollars in that way. Uh, we often mimic what other great foundations are doing here out in the state. 
so we copycat mm -hmm. and tell them that and mm -hmm. they're happy to have us do that but actually most recently just um, did a, an initiative around a, a special training for playgrounds and how to use them as educational resources and we made it that was a copycat of what the Colorado Health Foundation had done for older kids mm -hmm. but we did it out in the state with great in, uh, you know outside of the Denver metro area with intentionality to try to give people resources that don't usually get them so you do have to do it on purpose mm -hmm. You also have to take advantage uh, of opportunities to get out there and get to know them. Uh, the state has a program called Rural Philanthropy Days. I'm on my way there this afternoon, where two times a year they, we go out into remote regions of the state and have a three-day event where we meet people, we learn about programming, and we actually have roundtables to have one-on-one -on -one discussions with potential grantees. And that's been a very successful um, strategy to get more money out there. The, they run it uh, through the Community Resource Center, and they have great, I mean, multi-million dollars of improvements in the, num in the years since that started. So that's the kind of thing where there is intentionality to do that. And then going out there myself and my program officers being out there makes it really, again, those relationships, building those up so people feel comfortable that we actually know them and know about them. Yeah, I think as far as early childhood goes, Colorado is ahead of a lot of other states, and that sounds very pompous, working in early childhood in a state to say that it's the best, but I think there is that kind of collaboration, especially in public-private partnerships, is something that Colorado is really strong in. I know that if I had a question about anything related to something like CCAP, I know the administrators that work on that on the government side, and I know they will always take my call, and if I have a concern, we can work on collaborative solutions, so I think that lends to the overall collaborative spirit of early childhood in our state is that there's such transparency from the government to the advocates to the practitioners that it creates a really good feedback loop mm -hmm. to work on any problems and to be really transparent about what different areas are struggling with. And it definitely makes my job easier to know that I can work with a family here hear about what their CCAP issue is and why they're constantly struggling. And I can take that directly to somebody who's either a policymaker that's going to be passing a bill on that or to somebody on the regulatory side in the office and express that to them. And I've seen that model work and actually create change. And I think um, the grant that I work on is kind of a national alliance so other states get similar funding and just talking to some of my colleagues in other states they can barely get their Office of Early Childhood to notice them or work with them. So I think just having that public-private partnership and the foundations that are involved in early childhood in Colorado are really strong. Um, the same set of funders that support my project also support Wendy's project and also support all these different pieces and they're very involved and very well informed. So sometimes it's too many cooks mm -hmm. in the kitchen, but it's also really helpful to have funders that buy into the vision and know how to support it and have the expertise to really give us good ideas and help kind of give us guardrails to work on. And so as someone who's doing policy analysis, specifically on this funding side of early childhood, is a model where the state is giving some monies but not funding the majority of the money mm -hmm. to the early childhood program around the state of Colorado. Is that a sustainable model going forward? Mm -hmm. Like, is the current kind of hodgepodge model, is that what we're going to see in 20 years and it's still going to be working in 20 years? Mm -hmm. Or do we need to change any part of that process? 
I would say no. I think a general policy principle is that if you think a program or a certain area is worth investing in, that having public investment is key to sustainability, to make it part of the fabric of our budget and the fabric of how we think about public services. Um, so we definitely do, as a state, prioritize some funding for early childhood when it comes to kind of that welfare angle and thinking about things like CCAP and how to support through that way. But I would say to be sustainable, we need more state general funds. Just that's a sound policy model. I think one of the benefits, though, of kind of having this mixed delivery model is that it really allows programs to tailor their services to fit their communities. So Head Start is a great example because it really focuses on the whole child and enables us to do the mental health piece and the physical health piece and family services and it's helped Clayton to really identify what we want our program and direct services to look like. So that would be my only hesitation is the mix of funding allows for um, just more standards to come in and more research to come in and anytime you're getting funding whoever is funding you has a different idea of what best practices look like so we do get to benefit from some of that inflow of ideas and having that federal connection is always really helpful but on the flip side of that it's a ton of work to balance that many different funding sources and we have to have staff that are dedicated to the reporting and the applying for the grant and the monitoring and when you have so many different sources coming through, they don't always coordinate when they're monitoring you. So we've had weeks where we had four different federal visits because it's coming from different parts of the government. So it's tricky. There's benefits to having a mixed delivery system for sure. But I think just general policy, everyone would say that having some kind of public funding source that's consistent always helps a program or an area look more sustainable. Yeah, because you bought some of the interviews we've done where I've interviewed people who have like seven different hats that they wear. They're like, I'm the CCAP right. person, I'm this person, I'm this person, I'm this person, I'm this person. It's a ton of right? work. And it's they're all very different models. And even thinking about when we think of our families, it's so hard for our staff to be up on what the different eligibility requirements mm -hmm. are for assistance. So even though we get some public funding for kind of that assistance model, that's a lot of work too and the eligibility requirements and making sure that that's fair and that's where the county piece really comes into play too is mm -hmm. every county administers CCAP in a different way so that's really hard to track and think about from a general policy level so we can recognize what makes funding for early childhood unique in Colorado and we can also recognize potential barriers or pitfalls to effective funding in terms of what programs we support and how we incentivize those programs what that doesn't mean, though, is that the funding process works perfectly. It's not that it's seamless. There are programs that aren't getting the funding they need to keep their doors open. We see the large increase in the cost of early childhood education in Colorado, where it costs about sixteen dollars to $18,000 a year now to send your child to a high-quality early childhood education center. We're still having active conversation about funding at the state level around funding for early childhood. That doesn't mean, though, that just throwing more money at early childhood is going to fix all the various tensions and places that early childhood can improve on its own. To talk about that a little bit, I'm going to turn to Katrina to talk about both the language that's being used in early childhood, but what she views as barriers to early childhood educators being involved in political processes to better represent early childhood voices at the state and at the federal level. 
One of the disadvantages that early childhood folks have is that we've been in a marginalized sort of profession. Mm -hmm. And whether we want to admit that that impacts how we feel about our worth, I would guess that many people who are maybe the president and CEO of a child development center would feel that they are somehow lesser than the president and the CEO of Wells Fargo. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's really hard to be in a marginalized profession and not have that impact the way that we think. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, getting, it's getting over that. And I think, too, that we are so immersed in child development, developmentally appropriate practices, environments, all those things that make us so good at that dance uh, of early childhood that we don't take business classes. We don't attend board meetings. Like most other people, if you're in a, a profession, maybe you've attended a board meeting. We don't attend those kind of board meetings, so the language is alien to mm -hmm. us. It feels very foreign. It feels formal in a way that we won't fit into. And so I hear that from people that they feel like they wouldn't be qualified. Well, of course you'd be qualified. Everybody starts somewhere. Sure. Um, but that's sort of what I think we're getting over, mm -hmm. is that despite what we're trying to do to elevate the profession, to have somebody for generations of generations of providers being told somehow that we're lesser, you know, in salary, in public policy, in all those kinds of things. So I think until we can start learning to defend ourselves, mm -hmm. learning the language of some of these other things, mm -hmm. um, that's one of the things that's been a big learning curve for me here is learning about how to talk to people that are that may be in the education field but these are accountability people or these are data people or these are school finance people and so I need to then be a really good listener and learn how to talk their language mm -hmm. because in early childhood we have our own kind of language. Mm -hmm. Susan? So speaking to those kind of individuals who are getting off the ground with some new projects, mm -hmm. what can they do or what should they keep in mind to best set themselves up to receive funding to get support for funding or to be ready to have that conversation with a potential funder at some point? Well, I think it's fair to say that all of us in, uh, that have been doing this work um, certainly recognize and uh, again kind of going back to the numbers versus the hard strings, mm -hmm. certainly recognize the passion and the need and the importance of it. So I think we need to, that's a very important part of it, we must not lose that. But that doesn't automatically get you funding right. because you're passionate. So I think it's very important for you to be able to make the case for why it's important, and not just because early childhood is important, we know it is, but why is this specific thing important, or why is this specific thing needed? We certainly don't have enough money to have duplicative stuff that isn't needed, so really the first thing would be, why is this particular idea needed? Is no one else doing it? Would there be another place to do it? And that's hard for people because they love their, mm -hmm. their pro project and their program, but is someone else doing this? Could you partner with them? Is there a way to be more efficient? We don't need another nonprofit to do this work if somebody else could do it. So it's being really practical and probably objective about looking at what the need in the community, scanning, the, doing a real scan. We often find that people don't know, haven't taken the time to find out about other similar programming. So doing a real scan, setting up the need, defining the community. It can't be the broad, huge community. And then really working through a reasonable pro forma of numbers. Um, 
pie in the sky is not a great way to start with a, a grant maker. We need for you to, if I did this program and it's a summer only program and we worked with the grow house and we were going to affect 50 preschoolers and we're going to do this, this is my, my budget and, and it's made up of professionals and supplies and money to the grow house, I don't, whatever, right, right. right? So a real budget based on where someone's help you be reasonable about um, what it would cost, those all go a really long way to for a funder to be able to say this is a reasonable thing for us to look at um, and it could happen and you know it's practical to do it so it's kind of getting the, the the love of it into the practicality of could we make this happen often people want to start a center because we just absolutely have to have a center but they don't have a place they don't have people they don't you know they don't have any of the things they need to make it work so I think that that's a really important um, thing that they need to do with people besides just their best friend that's passionate too, right. sort of an ob objective somebody that doesn't know your work to, as well, bring it to them and, and if you can explain it to them then you'll have a better ex uh, chance of explaining it and making your pitch, if you will, to a funder. Mm -hmm. Katrina. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if from your perspective somebody's involved in public policy making on um, that side, is there an argument that ECE can make? that would appeal to all those different audiences, all those different funders? You know, I'm not sure there is right now, and let me tell you why. Because I don't think that we in ECE have been good enough at looking at all of the different funding opportunities that there are out there and being, I don't want to use the word creative, and being systematic about using them. So a lot of times, um, I'm going to use Colorado Preschool Programs as, as an example. So people will use CPP because it's an easy funding source to work with. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to just put all of my low-income kids on CPP. And I say, well, you know, you're, you want to make a full day happen. Have you looked at working with a CCAP? Have you looked into dollars that are available through the READ Act for kids that are at high risk for? And the answer is almost always no. I have, I'm early Head Start or I'm Head Start or I'm CPP and so I think until we get used, until we get better at utilizing all the funding streams out there, that right now ECE is not in the position to say we've tapped all our resources, we need more from you. Because I talk to people who have not tapped all the resources and I'm not blaming them as people because we're not accountants. We didn't, I didn't have one budgeting class until I went to Buell. So we don't understand those things and because we don't understand them, we fear them and then we don't know what are the other things that are available. I'm finding that most preschool directors don't understand that every child who gets placed on an IEP before October or November count gets half a PPR sent directly to the school district for that child's general education. People don't even know it. So they're trying to stretch CPP funding to cover all the kids in the program without even realizing, wait a minute, there's special education funding that I'm not looking at. If I'm, I'm trying to do a, a longer day, there's CCAP funding I haven't looked at. Uh, there's all these other things. And so I think we're in a kind of a poor position to just say, we need more money. Because until we can show that we're being good stewards of what we have. So I believe in accountability. I believe in stewardship. I believe that every dollar wasted is like shame on us. 
we didn't do a good enough job for this kid and this family. So until we can really start looking at funding in a more systematic way, um, I'm learning that people are very uncomfortable by our use of the term blended funding mm. because it looks like we're throwing all our money into this big pot and hoping good things happen. Mm. So I, since we're ECE, we t I'm, I talk about it like blocks, so we're stacking funding. So if we've got David and he needs a full day, I'm going to use my CPP block for two and a half hours. I'm going to use my CCAP block for five hours. So I'm going to systematically look at stacking funding sources to make sure that each child gets the maximum amount of funding that's allowable. And that we don't look to outsiders like we're just throwing our money into a pot and then hoping good things happen from it. So I do, I do think that we need to educate each other on how we do that. So one of the things that's our main focus now with CPP is making sure that people are exploring those alternative funding sources. So we don't look to CPP to be the be-all end-all because it isn't a universal preschool program. It's specifically a half-day program for at-risk kids. So because we know that half-day is not going to work for most families, how do we then, we need to look, we need to look further. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we need to start teaching each other. Mm -hmm. So if you're good with CCAP, maybe you can teach me, because I happen to really understand Colorado Preschool Program. And then we need to talk to our Head Start person, okay, how can we, how can we stack CPP and Head Start blocks and CCAP blocks and to, to make sure that we're pulling in all the funding we can and exhausting those funding sources. And that way I can go to the legislature and say, look, we have exhausted all of these funding sources. We need more CPP slots for at-risk kids. Mm -hmm. Because right now it's more difficult to make the argument because they know that there's money uh, out there that's going unused. Mm -hmm. So we need, to, we need to get on each other a little bit and push each other's boundaries. And um, I've noticed that we tend to get more better with funding when funding is short. Mm -hmm. And then when funding comes in, we go back to kind of our old lazier ways of just using what's easy. Mm -hmm. But we need to get really good at, at understanding all the different funding sources, all the different, um, the different programs that are out there, the different philanthropic folks mm -hmm. that are out there that are willing to do. So the people that I see doing a really good job, um, they'll tell me, oh, okay, I wrote to the Daniels Fund for this. We have CCAP for this. We're using CPP for these children. It's the dollars are very targeted. Mm -hmm. And that way, when I'm making the argument, I can say, this is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of where we need to um, educate each other, encourage each other. And this is something that a year ago, when I started this position, I didn't understand at all. Mm. And now when I'm hearing it, and then I'm hearing the arguments from lawmakers or people in positions of authority. They're telling me, well, wait a minute. CPP was never intended to cover everything. Mm -hmm. Why are you guys trying to make it cover everything? Mm -hmm. And then I had to sort of go out there and figure out, okay, what really is going on? What are the pieces of that funding puzzle that we need to put together before mm -hmm. we can go across the street and make a good argument for we need more? Absolutely. Lauren? Mm -hmm. And you talk about how difficult it is to divide up sometimes. Mm -hmm. So how do you measure the impact of those dollars and the funding structures? Yeah, that's a great question. And that is just another challenge of having a lot of different grants is everybody has different metrics of what success looks like. And sometimes I think at Clayton what we really try and do since we are such 
champions for blending and breeding funds is that all of our outcomes can be applicable to all of our grants because it's that combined effort of all that funding that leads to those specific outcomes and of course when it's more specific projects we have to kind of pull some of those outcomes out and speak directly to that so but otherwise I think our overall outcomes are really what we're reporting on and sometimes we just have to kind of change how it's phrased to fit the metrics of a certain grant but I think our overall outcomes are really you know our database seeing how our kids are doing on assessments seeing how they're doing when they go to kindergarten if that transition is working well um, some of it's anecdotal especially when it comes to our family information of how do they feel connected how are they doing with their child's transition when they do go into formal schooling so there's some that's more squashy and anecdotal, but we really try, Clayton, to have that data piece, too, to show the longitudinal effects, because that's kind of really where early childhood lays in strength is. It's about setting these kids and their families on the right trajectory to go forward and preparing them well for their next steps. So generally, it's a little more difficult with early childhood to try and turn out a bunch of outcomes and. Um, the data points that you may want to see that can be pointed to by foundations. It's really about the long-term effects, but there are immediate effects too, and it has to be sometimes more formalized things like assessments, but even that, like how we do assessments with kiddos here is totally different than how you do assessments with a second grader. It's all games and pointing to shapes and identifying colors so it doesn't feel um, burdensome to the kids or makes them feel like they're failing. It's really seeing how they're progressing, and I think that's probably the biggest outcome we have is progress and growth versus just meeting certain outcomes or certain goals, but to show that there was some type of positive growth from being in our programs here. Thanks again for listening to this month's episode of the Buell Early Childhood Leaders podcast series. We hope you enjoyed learning about funding, funding models, and what conversations are important to funding for early childhood and across the state of Colorado. As we said at the beginning of the program, if you want more information about anything we talked about, if you want any more information about legislation and voting that will be happening this fall, please feel free to check out the links below to link in some information articles and some other information that we could offer to you. Thanks again, and have a great rest of your day.